the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. Why do I love FanDuel? Let me tell you. Because it's America's number one sportsbook. I like facts. I like knowing that they are number one in the space. There's also amazing odds and markets for the NBA, NHL, CBB, and so much more. It's also safe and secure and super quick payouts. You get your winnings delivered as quickly as two hours. It's amazing. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. Happy belated Valentine's Day. Hopefully everybody had a good one, or at least, I don't know, did something. I know that Valentine's Day is one of those like hallmarky kind of holidays and blah, blah, blah. We should all love each other every day, but I kind of like having a day reserved for a little love and a little romance. So, we here at the sessions decided that we would bring on Dr. Lisa Paz. Let me tell you, I love this woman. I'd never met her before doing this interview, and I could have talked to her for forever. I wish that we were best friends. I wish that we lived in the same city because, let me tell you, we would hang out. She has all the answers. She's been through it. She's been married for like, she's been with her husband for like 20 years, something like that. Been through it, has such a cool, interesting job as like a marriage counselor and like a sex therapist. So we got into all sorts of really, really cool conversations that I think you guys are going to enjoy. Human beings are really fascinating and relationships are really interesting. And keeping relationships fresh and working and functioning are interesting because God, humans can be so complex. So trying to get everybody to coexist and keep everybody happy can be a tall order. Um, so we, we talked about all sorts of things with Dr. Paz. I think that you guys are definitely going to dig this. So before we get into that, just a friendly little reminder, go to thevolume.com. That's where you guys can get the Renee shirt. They've got all the sessions merch up there. You can just do a little click down, find the merch, add to cart, ship it to your house, get all that good stuff. I really want to see pictures of you guys in your shirts with my face on them. Or there's the hoodies that say the sessions or a hat that has my name on it. So check that stuff all out. Um, that's enough shilling for me for one moment. Let's get into a little Valentine's Day episode with Dr. Lisa Paz. I feel like I need to be with red lips on. It's like my standard go-to. I mean, you can't do anything with it on. You can't eat. You can't drink. Definitely, you can't make out with anybody. Um, so it's a little limiting in, in terms of functionality. <laughs> <laughs> Either somebody give me something I can consume through a straw or leave me alone. That's all I've got. I was looking, you have a daughter, a new daughter. Is that right? How old is she? She's almost eight months. Actually, she'll be eight months plus one day when this airs. How are you holding up? We're getting there. Um, I'm definitely tired. It's funny because I feel like I've gone through like these ebbs and flows of being tired where I'm like, I feel pretty good right now. But right now I am like in the trenches where I'm like, okay just getting through the day, waiting for her to take a nap so that I can maybe take a nap. And, um, you know, it's like they go through all these stages. Do you have kids? I have three. Mine are older. I have a twin nine-year-olds and an 11 and a half-year-old. But I hated the baby face. Like, I hated the first. I love, I would have died for them from the moment they were born. But, like, I'm not a baby mom. And so, like, I feel for that bracket. It's really funny because I feel like people don't talk about that a lot where it's very much so like, oh my God, everything's so great. I love my baby and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, of course we love our babies. But like there are those times you're like, oh my God. It's like once you get through like one phase and then you think you've adjusted, then they've moved, the, the game plan has changed, the formula has changed and you're moving on to whatever the next thing is. It's just never ending. 
people don't talk about it. And everyone's like, oh, congratulations. And you're like, thank you. And so the implicit thing is that I have to be super happy, but it's a little bit horrible. Like your body changes. It's not particularly sexy. It's so demanding. It's exhausting. No one talks about it. It's horrible. No, it's so true. It's funny because I planned on talking to you about that today because I mean, yes, obviously on like the female side of things, like not only physically have our bodies changed, um, but like the hormones are all over the place. You're needed from everybody. Your baby needs you. Your husband needs you. Like everybody fucking needs you. <laughs> no, and by the way, parenting is beautiful. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but it's not sexy, right? Like it's not, there's nothing hot about diapers or spit up or, I mean, unless you're into that. There's nothing fucking hot about it at all. And yes, it's a big, I feel like the whole thing is a big mind fuck for women. Yeah, it's really funny because like I would say like, you know, mentally preparing to be like, okay, we're going to have a baby. And I had a great pregnancy. I had a really easy pregnancy. Um, you were hot. I saw your picture. I saw, I saw like a pregnant, there was like a pregnant picture on your page. And I was like, gorgeous. <laughs> yes, gorgeous. I loved it. It was great. But yeah, it's like you have the baby and then you're like adjusting and, you know, you have like that, like you give yourself like those couple weeks where you're like, okay, everything's healing. I got to let my body do its thing. But then you think you're going to like bounce right back to being like, okay, let's bring it. Let's get it on. And you're like, oh, are we doing this right now? (laughs) 100%. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a shift that no one says is going to happen. We'll dig deeper into that in a little bit. Okay, so how did you get into this line of work? What is your actual, what's the full title? So I'm a marriage and sex therapist is the full title. Um, how did I get into it? I I took a random course in marriage and family therapy and I was like, oh my God, I didn't, I don't think I had realized that it was an option or a thing. Then I was talking to my aunt and my grandmother and both of them were like, marriage and sex, yes, that's what you should be talking about. Like I was that person, you know, in like sixth grade, when everyone was learning to French kiss that wanted the advice. And then like when they were learning to give hand jobs and blow jobs, like enter stage left, it was me. And then like, right. At, like I was just that person. You will find no one in my like developmental history that would be like, Oh, she's a marriage and sex. I never saw that coming. Like, no, no. I think that everyone from my early years that have found out was like, that makes perfect sense. That's great. Oh my gosh. Sometimes things just work out. You know, sometimes the universe works out for you. 100%. And it's a very cool and beautiful privilege to be able to like help people or talk to people through their most private stuff. Cause sex is funny. It's one of those things that like, I don't care what you look like, how educated, how much money, like if it breaks down, it breaks down in a way that leaves people vulnerable and fucked up and confused and your penis isn't cooperating, right? There's not amount of money in the world to fix it and it will break you. I'm so happy I don't have a penis. I couldn't imagine what it's like for a man to go through that where you're like, it's just not working. And then you're like in your head, like, oh my gosh. I have three sons. I love men. I love my husband, 20 years married, blah, blah, blah. But yes, men, I think in a lot of ways have it easier sexually and their orgasms come a lot easier when their penis does cooperate. However, it comes to such an immediate stop when their penis stops cooperating because you can't fake it. And it's such a mental game for these guys. And I've seen like the strongest, most powerful of men just become paralyzed very quickly at the idea of failing, at the idea of not performing, at the idea of not being viable or virile. And not only that, but on the other side of like, how complex is the female body? Like, good luck with this roadmap. You want to map quest this one? Because like, best of luck to you. 100%. I mean, and we were talking just before we really started, right, about female body post-pregnancy, but in general, female body at its top functioning is kind of tricky. It's such a head game. There's so much research that has looked at that women really need their head in the right space in order to both get turned on, stay turned on, and hopefully orgasm. If they know how, if their partner knows how to get them off, if they can find the clitoris, right? Like there's so much that goes into it. And it's interesting because the most common thing I hear from women is I want to want it, but I just don't want it, right? This desire. And really what research shows is most, not some, most women enter sexual interaction actually from a place of neutrality or obligation. And it's not till they've like actually quieted their mind and they've actually relaxed enough and gotten into it 
that they have that subjective thought of like, this isn't so bad. Like, I don't know why I fight this or I don't know why I don't do this more often. Right. Like they like it once they get going, but that initial sort of, I could either take a nap or have sex. I could either like do whatever I was about to do. That for them is a very challenging entry point. And it's like, it's not even that it becomes like, I don't want to use like the word like a performance piece, but it's not like this thing, but it is a little bit of like, okay, now I have to be sexy to some degree. What underwear am I wearing? What new trick do I need to try to bust out to keep my partner engaged? Like it's complicated. And it, it can be, it can seem like this mountain sometimes and you're like, all right. It's performative to a degree. And it's interesting that you say like, what panties do I have to have in on all of this? Because research also shows top three desire inhibitors for females include feeling connected to their partner, feeling like their body image is on point, whatever that means for them, uh, and feeling like their to-do list is low. So like dishes are done, emails are answered. That's so fucked up, but it's true because it's so hard to mentally log off and you're like, oh my God, like I know I have this I have to prep for and this needs to be done. And, and also I would say sometimes if you feel like your partner's not pulling the weight of doing those things can be a major turnoff. Totally. You feel disconnected and resentful and you feel like, listen, fuck you. You vacuumed. You have no idea the shit I'd do to you. (laughs) 100%. Yes. And it is a little performative. I think women, it it is, whether it should be or not, it's a different dialogue, but like there is an element of bringing your A game. I have yet, 16 years I've been talking to people about sex and relationships. I've yet to meet a guy that was like, the dishes are in the sink and they're dirty. I just can't fuck right now. Like I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for the guy that's like, oh, there's laundry in the dryer. I can't get into it. Oh my gosh. For a lot of women, it's an inward, like you talk about bringing your A game and sort of amping up and being hot. And I always laugh because for women that masturbate, and I think all women should, and it's very helpful. But like, I always tell men, if you actually watched a woman, like it's probably very underwhelming, right? Because it's probably most women like laying there quietly with their eyes closed or looking at something and like what we show up as sort of like, "Ah." and then where we land when we're just relaxed and trying to get to a climax. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so true. There's like that moment where like, you feel like you're trying to like put on the show of like, this is what it looks like. It's like, no, bitch, it's not what it it's looks really like. not what it looks like. I, I always say like men would be very sorely disappointed to watch a woman masturbate when no one is looking. <laughs> it's quiet. It's very low key. I feel like women are far more reserved when it comes to, I mean, I'm sure dudes do whatever the hell they do when they're jerking off as well. But women don't talk about it really like at all. It's like, which is funny because I mean, obviously we all know that everyone's doing it, but it really is secretive. It's so secretive for women. And you're right. Women don't talk about it as much. And it's not such a thing. And a lot of women are doing it. I think that there's like a, a meta piece around it, right? Like in the, in the 1800, right? If we're doing like sex history 101, right? It used to be treatment for women to use a vibrator with hysterical women, women that were thought to be crazy they would give them an orgasm as an idea to release. And there's been like all these historical sex. It's kind of bizarre. And I don't know why women don't talk about it, but I will tell you, I do so much work with women and sexuality. And the single best piece of advice I can give them is have a masturbation practice, have a bank of fantasies, have a space that you can land in your head to help you bridge from being a mom, a professional, a wife, a sister, a daughter, a ba, 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 to then like exactly what you were talking about, Renee, that like performative, fun, sexy vixen. Like that transition for women is so much harder than it is for men to sort of click in. And one of the easiest ways to do it is to go to your bank of fantasies for a little while, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, like to help you land because neurochemically, your brain knows what to do with those fantasies and your body knows what to do with them. And by the way, an orgasm for a lot of women can be hard to achieve. And like, if you know how to get yourself off, A, you can direct a male easier and B, like you can get yourself. Why is it so much hard? I mean, I know that's, you must get asked that all the time of like, why is it so much more difficult for a woman to have an orgasm, but like specifically with their partner? I mean, I feel like it's much easier when you're by yourself. It's so much easier by yourself because for upwards of 90, 94% of women, depending on what study you're looking at, you need clitoral stimulation. I I feel like also like generally everyone's educated about sex through porn and you see these women basically faking having an orgasm through penetration. 
listen, I think porn has a giant value for people as like um, inspiration, learning experience, et cetera. But that is one of the biggest disservices, both for the woman to think that that's how she gets off. And then for the male set to be like, why isn't my chick getting off in like 30 seconds through penetration? (laughs) Because the truth is the average woman needs almost 20 minutes through just clitoral stimulation to orgasm. And now some women who are really like uh, skilled or comfortable in their body and also know what gets them off mentally can do that in, in much less time. But if you take sort of an average and say 20 minutes and not 20 minutes of like being tossed around and penetrated from 18 different positions, 20 minutes of focused clitoral stimulation with a certain amount of rhythm and consistency and pressure. It's a big ask, right? And so I think that people should use vibrators and not be intimidated because I think they make life easier. And I think that to the extent that we can communicate with our partner or we have an interested male partner who's like, I want to know what gets you off and I'm willing to take the time, but not everyone always has that time. Is there any downfall to women that are using vibrators on the regular? Does that get in the way of them having an orgasm through just like sex with their partner? Potentially. Yes. Right. So for those women that have used a vibrator or for men listening that haven't like it delivers almost hundred percent of the time. If you can get your head in the game, the vibrator will deliver just for sheer consistency purposes. If you then remove the vibrator and you're relying on someone's tongue, fingers, friction of intercourse, if you can catch it. Hey, who doesn't love a good dry hump, you know? A little good dry hump, right? Old school, (laughs) a little old school action. Throw it back. That's right. (laughs) It's not the same. And so, yes, that could be the potential downfall if you're overusing a vibrator. And so if you're worried about that, then my invitation to you is to when you masturbate, alternate between digital or finger stimulation and, uh, and a vibrator, or hopefully you have a partner that's like chill enough and open-minded enough to recognize that a vibrator is not competition. Yeah. Calm down. We're all on the same team here. Hey guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And you love some combat sports. Well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. You've been married for 20 plus years, you said? 20 years? I've been together with my husband 20 years, married 15, yes. How do you guys um, keep things fresh and keep things going? I'm sure there must have been lulls at some point. You know, it's a big chunk of time to be with somebody. For sure. Lulls. We've also had three kids along the way and life gets in the way. And so, like, I think that there's there's the fun answer and also the fun plus real answer. Right. And the fun plus real answer is that, like, sometimes it sucks or not sucks the sex, but like sometimes life is harder. Right. And you'd have to be willing to recognize that and communicate through it and know that like each time you have sex doesn't need to be the best time. Right. That like sometimes it's just, sometimes it's just what it is. And then like, sometimes you have chapters that are amazing. I feel like cheesy even saying this, but communication is really big, right? We like talk a lot. I will tell you our fundamental rule is, um, you can't really judge each other. Right. And so we know that anything goes at least once. And then if we're not into it after, like, fine. And I think that that freedom to be like, listen, I will not judge you. You can let it go. You can be yourself. Like you can do whatever you need to do. And like, if it doesn't work on the back end, like we'll have it go. Right. We'll talk it out. Yeah. Like you must like when something doesn't work, does it turn into like a bit of a a laugh session of like, oh, I got fucking weird. (laughs) Yes, it does. And it's fine, right? Because it's safe and it's fine. Um, One of the problems that I think a lot of couples have is um, I'll hear people be like, I would love to do that with my partner, but there's no way. Like I could do that with a stranger on the street, but I could never do that with my partner. And the problem is as we go forward with someone, we know them in so many ways there, you know, when you're first dating someone, you know, them like with batting eyelashes and as someone you're having sex with and maybe a few drinks and maybe laughing. So it's very easy to get weird or to step into fun spaces. Cause 
It's kind of your primary identity with them. As you go forward and someone is your partner, they're also your family member. And maybe you have kids with them. And maybe you've seen them with a stomach ache. And maybe you've seen them like, you know, you see them in all these other ways. So then to get free and be like, all right, now I'm going to get weird. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that. It's weird. It's almost like, um, you know, it's like a like a performer. It's like, oh, it's cool performing in front of all these strangers. But I see one of my I see somebody I know that's like watching me do the thing that I do. I'm like, oh, God, it's like it throws you off. Keeping it spicy is hard. Keeping it spicy after kids is hard. Whatever. In general, relationships are hard. And then to add the layer of keeping hot sex is hard. Also growing together sexually. Like if you think about what you fantasized about when you were 20, 25, 30, shit changes like everything else. And it is hard to sort of either communicate those changes to your partner or grow together or stay interested in each other in the same way. It's hard work like anything else. A cute body is hard work, right? A well-behaved kid is hard work. A good degree is hard work. A nice car, like good sex is hard work over time. You got into a pretty complicated line of work because like, who are the people, like, who are the people that come to you? Like, at what point do couples go, we need to see a therapist, um, whether it's your marriage or it's your sex life, whatever. Like, usually what is that point for people? People come in for different reasons. So some people, I'll tell you, I do a lot of infidelity work. So a lot of people will come in because like they bottomed out because someone got caught cheating and they're either in repair mode from the infidelity or one of them is like, okay, they've been saying they want this or need this for so long. And now at the expense of our marriage, we need to, or a relationship if they're not married, like now we really need to address it. So that's one reason people will come in. Uh, guys who come in individually, it's because something went wrong sexually. They have premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, or erectile dysfunction. Those are like the three big individual male reasons. They must want to die when they come in and they're like, oh my God, my therapist is like hot and cute and she is telling me about my fucking dick. I'll take the compliment. Maybe. I think honestly, by the time guys get it, they're so broken down from their uncooperative penis that I think they're just like, for real, you can help. Like you really know. And yes, I think maybe, I think within five minutes, they're like, oh fuck, fine. Fine. Here's what it is. Women come in for low desire, anxiety, not having problems with orgasms. So those are the main reasons women will come in. And then a lot of couples will come in like this. Our relationship is perfect, except our sex life sucks or we're not having sex. And I'm always like, "Uh uh-huh, tell me more. And within like 15 minutes, you realize they were like annoyed at each other. They kind of hate each other these days. Like, Like they resent each other. Sex is an indicator of so much other shit. Yeah, I think it's so easy for people to have blinders on or to like not want to succumb to saying like, okay, we're hitting a bit of a rough patch right now. Like when everything's always been so good and you love your partner, like, yeah, you do hit those rough patches and it's hard to like accept that that moment has happened because everyone, when you start dating someone or you're, you know, early stages of marriage you think that everything's always just going to be so beautiful and so great and you guys really hit a stride and this is my person. But every now and then it's like, oh shit, got to trudge through the trenches a little bit. Like I feel you just hit the nail on the head that people start out so great and they think like, okay, it's always going to be great. And then what happens is when there is a rough patch, no one acknowledges it, they get silent. And so then by the time they're actually talking about it, it's because it's like really, really hit the fan. I always think it's better to come at like the very front end, like just to create a platform to be like, what's up? Like, we're a little bit off. Can we just like realign kind of quickly, you know, but people don't, they like wait and wait. And if you think about the way people start having sex in relationships, right? What do we do when we first start having, you're amazing. Oh my God, that was so good. Right? Like people fuck, they high five each other. They're like, that was so, yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, and so the format for how people start their sex life is through this like high-fiving, right? Like, yes, we're so good. And so they don't really have a dialogue available for like when it gets not great, right? Because they'll go silent, silent, silent. And then by the time it's really like needs to be addressed, they're like, all we know how to do is say like, that was so good from five years ago. Is there any kind of, I don't want to say like quick fix. I mean, I know obviously there's always more work to be done, but in terms of like when you recognize, hey, maybe we're kind of not on the same page, what is a good way to reconnect? I'm going to break it up. People who are parents, who have children, I think the quickest way to reconnect is to take time away from the role of being parents, right? So the parenting role really fucks up sex life. Like 
what I always tell people is the mom and the dad are not the ones that have sex. It's the husband and wife. And if you are parenting well, you are a mom and dad much more than you are a husband and wife. Yeah, which can be a real boner killer. It's Woo. a real boner killer. It's a real mind fuck. <laughs> and it's really hard to transition back into that. So quickest fix for people with children is to really break from the mom dad role long enough, whether you have an hour or a day, whatever it is to like get back to just being husband and wife for a second. Cause those are the people that relate to each other. Well, for people without kids who have hit a rough patch, it's also about carving out time, but it's not so much trying to like go on a date night time. It's more like get back to just, um, connecting, you know, like almost that initial, you know, when you're dating someone, you feel like so synced up and you're so interested in their experience. They sneeze and like, how did that sneeze feel? Right. We're like so interested in their experience in the world. And then like, as you go forward with someone, you're like, I don't give up. Like, unless you're dying, don't bother me. Right. Like we become so much less interested. And so I think one of the quickest fixes actually for sexual connection is to try and connect back to like, Hey, I want to like, just be with you. I want to hang with you a little bit. And again, I think communication is big. I'm a big fan of using technology. I think sending sexy text messages is really important. I think sending images, if you feel comfortable in your body, is really important. Oh, yeah. Sexed it up. Yeah. I really think, or leaving love note, like I really think also that micro momentum throughout the course of a week is very important. Grab an ass, give a kiss, kiss with a tongue. If it's not a precursor to sex, a lot of people, what ends up happening is they like, Reserve all of these other kinds of behaviors just as precursors to sex. We all kind of do that a bit, right? Where it's like, well, I know if I do this one move, it's going to lead to this. And that's not really where I want things to go in this exact moment. So you do hold back a little bit. 100%. It's called intimacy avoidance. It's one of the most common things that either women do to avoid like green lighting their male partner or men actually with erectile dysfunction do also where they don't want to be seen as like, this is a come on. But yes, we're, I'll hear so many women say like, I would love to get in bed and like caress his chest for five minutes or like just give him a good kiss. And like, but if I do that, it's game on. And the truth is- I re- It's like asking for a massage. Can you massage me two seconds later? I'm like, okay, well, I didn't really get the massage, but here we are. <laughs> exactly. And so what ends up happening is we we sort of avoid all of these momentum building behaviors, like French kissing, like grabbing, like, seeing your partner sit on the couch and like jump on him and straddle him and give him like a big deep kiss, but then like go about your day without like the hovering around looking for the sex because you did that. Right. And so I think that couples should really focus on that. And I think that it's important for the woman to communicate, like, I want to do all this shit so I can show up better, like on a Friday night or a Saturday night, but like not a green light for sex, because it also helps remind the couple who they are. And again, if you go back to dating behavior, which everyone loves dating, sex, courtship sex is the best. I wish we could go back to how it was when we were dating. Want to know what you did when you were dating? You guys were really affectionate. You were really interested in each other. You sort of carved out time. So long answer to your question. Oh, listen, I love that. It's a long podcast. We're allowed to have long answers here. (laughs) Take your time. Um, I mean, it's funny. I feel like I drive my husband crazy. I'm a big communicator. I want to talk about everything. If I feel like he's kind of off, I'm like, what's up with you today? What's going on? He's like, fucking nothing. Uh, so I, I kind of have to like poke and prod him until, you know, I can finally get him to like reveal a little nugget of truth about whatever's going on with him. But I do, I feel like communication is so, so crucial. I, I want to, I still want to know everything about you. So ride that out. Research shows that the primary reasons men communicate are for information exchange, problem solving, and humor. And the top three reasons women communicate are to feel understood, to let you know they understand you, and to feel part of a group. So like women really engage in this like circular communication, like processing or venting or like, and you can get off the phone with like your best girlfriend and him just like downloaded all the bullshit, gotten nowhere with it. There's no solution to it. There's no, and you'll hang up and be like, I feel so understood. And right. And the male version of communication is like, okay, well, did you try this? Or maybe you should do that. And you're like, no, I don't want the fucking salute. I want to just like flow. Like I just, just hash it out a little bit. Let's circle the drain for like 30 minutes. And it's just not a male style. Males are such more direct communicators, but I always tell men, like, if you want to get laid on a Saturday night, like, take the garbage out on Wednesday and, like, do some good listening on Friday, you know? Like, lean into it a little, guys. Like, it takes more than the hard-on <laughs> that they're rubbing in the bed. 
Oh my God. I know, honestly, for real. Fight fans, throw your best haymaker with a risk-free first bet from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, new customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code Renee and you'll be able to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. FanDuel offers all your favorite bets. Choose from the money line to the method of victory to which round the fight will end and so much more. You can even parlay different fight bets together. The bigger the parlay, the bigger your potential payout becomes. FanDuel is America's number one sports book and is now live in New York. New Yorkers, get on this. This is the number one sports book in America. You want to be a part of this. The app is so easy to use. And when you win, you're going to get paid in as little as two hours to place your first bet risk-free. Just sign up with the promo code Renee and make every fight night mean more with FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. So you mentioned earlier one of the main reasons, or you know, a big reason why people come in to see you is for infidelity. Of course, in the world of sports, that is a huge problem. I have a lot of athletes, yes. What's up with that? Why? Why do athletes cheat or why does infidelity happen? I, I guess kind of both or like why? I mean, I, I guess I understand why it happens more for athletes and for people in the public eye. Like I get it. I mean, obviously people are desiring you more or there's that interest. It makes you feel good. All of those things. But yeah, I guess in general infidelity. Listen, as we were talking about earlier, relationships are long and hard and we have a misconception that they're supposed to be easy, right? Like people will come into my office all the time. And they're like, I knew it was over when it's not being easy. And I was like, what? Like, why was it supposed to be easy? Grow up. It's not. Right, yeah, exactly. come on. Nothing's easy. That's right. And if it's easy, it's probably not real or long. So I think that there's um, this idea that as it gets hard, it's devalued or people don't want to work as much. And I also think neurochemically, if you think about infidelity, right? It's secret. Everyone shows up sort of best version of themselves. There's an excitement factor and that's hot. Any way you put it. I think that it takes a big act of discipline to not be unfaithful, right? I think for a lot of people, fidelity doesn't come easy because it is hard to grind with someone day in, day out, to grind at life And then also, like we've been talking about, show up like in the evening and be like, hey, I'm like also really into you, right? Like it's a big ask. And so what infidelity allows is someone who's looking at you almost in those early dating eyes, right? Where like, they're not pissed that you left your socks on the floor or you didn't have to do your taxes with them. And it's not that they didn't get up to change the diaper in the middle, right? Like there's no other bullshit interrupting the attraction. And that's hot. One of the main reasons men cheat, and this is, I think, a shocker for a lot of people when they hear, is because they feel under-adored and appreciated by their partner. So this idea of like the nagging woman never expresses appreciation, right? And I, I hate that archetype, but if you talk to men and if you look at the research, men will tell you it was the adoration. It was that like appreciation that is so attractive. For women, it's the emotional connection. Someone is listening. Someone's making them feel understood. Someone's taking an interest in them. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it can kind of go both ways. I mean, I feel like generally everyone just still wants to be kind of adored and appreciated. Who doesn't? Oh, my God, please pat me on the back. Totally. And the ass and everywhere else. Yeah, hit it. Neurochemically, you can't get the same hit, right? Like, yeah. And that's just the cost of doing business, right? That is the cost of being in a monogamous relationship. You will not get the same neurological hit from your 5, 10, 15, 20 year partner as you would from some stranger that you are just discovering, right? You are not sensitized to them. 
So there's also a compartmentalization factor for a lot of people. Interesting. So how do people bounce back from that? I mean, what is the, um, like the recovery rate of people being able to be like, okay, you fucked up, but do we carry on? It's interesting. Research shows that couples that can successfully heal from infidelity actually go on to have a better relationship because it's all out on the table and like, you know, they have nothing to lose. Everyone gets sort of called to the front line to be like, okay, we have to get very real now. It has to be worth going through all the pain. So if it's not better on the other end, it's not going to be worth trucking through the massive undertaking to heal from infidelity. I mean, there's also different kinds, right? Like a one night stand on a fishing trip in Costa Rica looks very different than like you've been fucking your secretary for 10 years, right? So there's also varying degrees, but they heal through, it's like a lot of communication, a lot of patience, a lot of transparency, a lot of um, figuring out how we got here in the first place. God, that's got to be messy because not only like it's got to be, I mean, not only is like everybody hurt and feelings are so like everything's just stripped down. Uh, but then you've also got to take some ownership for like, fuck, what, how did I do some shit to put him in this spot? And I hate saying that because I don't want to seem like it's the woman's fault because, uh, I mean, men can be fuck bags. But still, it's like it, it does take two to tango. And if you're making someone not feel a certain way, oh, God, that's got to be so messy. You must see and hear the craziest shit. By the way, I'm borrowing the term fuck bags for Bella. <laughs> take it. Yeah, I'm definitely taking it, Renee. Me- yes. Fucking, it's hard. Infidelity is very messy and very hard. I've had people that discovered other families that the person had a whole other family. I've had people that discovered that it was like a 20 year mistress, you know, and then you have the people that like, again, the, like the golf trip that they're like, Oh, there was a stripper in the room. And you're like, Oh, okay. You know, but I will tell you women cheat too. They are just better cheaters. I will tell you women are much tidier cheaters. Because we're deceiving. Yeah, we can be a little bit deceiving. We're good little tricksters. We also wear so many more hats all the time. Women cover their tracks much better. Yeah, we're all like certified FBI agents. We know what we're doing. 100%. So women are, are better cheaters, I think, as it relates to not getting caught. Also, this, you know, the term like the female intuition or the female six. Yes. Women have it in a way that I think males don't. I'll hear so many women over the years be like, all of a sudden he was listening to a new, a new music artist or like all of a sudden he had a different shirt on that I've never seen him wear. I don't think men would ever be like, Oh, she's changed her music stuff. I wonder what's up with that. I don't know that most men are as dialed into the details. Yeah. It is funny. And you're like, wait, who have you been hanging? What, what's this word you just said? You just use a new word. I've not heard you say. I had one woman that was like, he started reading different kinds of books. I saw different books. Oh my God. That's like a red flag. Get out of here. All of a sudden, Nicholas Sparks shows up on the bedside. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I dare any man to be like, oh, my wife started reading new books and I just knew. I just knew in my soul. You see me flipping through a graphic novel. Maybe it's time to take a look <laughs> through my text messages. But I will tell you, infidelity happens. And it is, if you're really vested in the relationship, it's worth trying to work on. I mean, if you're really vested and if they're really remorseful. For some people, it's their out. Some couples I look at and I'm like, this is your out, guys. This is the moment. There's no point in building on top of a shit foundation. I've always been so curious about that. I mean, when I see that, uh, you know, I've obviously I've been around moments of seeing things like that happen. It's like, man, how do you come back from that? But I mean, yeah, I'm I'm sure there are moments. I mean, I'm you know, I would never let my husband listen to this to be like, if that happens, like, oh my god, because like I love him so much, so I couldn't imagine. Like, oh, it makes me like want to die to imagine. I'd kill him. I know. I feel like I would too, but I will tell you, it's also massively inconvenient to dismember like your whole life. I don't know. I've borne witness to it for 16 years. You watch people and you, their whole life from one minute to the next changes, right? Like they, they find something out when they were like on their way to Pilates or the office or what, you know, fill in the blank, the Christmas dinner. And it's not that easy just to be like, you fucked me over. I'm out. I'm going to take everything we built this home we live in. And like next week I'm changing the whole game. It's hard, you know? I know. It happens. I know. Oh, guys, just everyone be cool. Everyone calm down and 
Fuck who you're supposed to fuck, not the people you're not supposed to fuck. How about that? Yes. Fuck who you're supposed to fuck. That is the bottom line. It's also though, like about watching yourself along the way. Right. So most people are not like, oh, I fell and my penis landed in the vagina and it felt good. Right. Like there is an incremental escalation to most infidelity. Like I said, unless you're like on the fishing trip in Costa Rica or like at the Vegas convention. But like other than that, it's an incremental sort of like it starts one way and here's the boundary. And then that boundary gets breached and there's a new boundary. Check it before you wreck it. Check it before you wreck it. That's it. That's 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 the jam right there. Nate. People are very complicated and complex and there's so many different layers and you're talking about like multiple people trying to keep everybody happy like both partners and then you add kids into the mix and it's like oh my god what's up what's down what's happening sex is hard to rebound from from infidelity be caught for the person who was betrayed they have their own thing with it for the person that cheated if we're being really candid affair sex is probably hotter than your married partnered monogamous sex and now it's like sad girl sex where you're like, now I'm mad at you, but I'm like trying to let you back in. Like, that's not fun. That's sort of the mental hurdle. I think for the person who was having the affair to come back into it and be like, not as fun, right? It's a level down. You're not leveling up on the fun and intimacy and flirtation and, and kinkiness or looseness, right? It's it, you're leveling down and you need to be like willing to sit through that for a minute. Oh man. Um, okay. So let's go back to like the, the having babies and sex and getting back into like that rhythm. What does sex after a baby look like in an ideal world? I am a giant fan of scheduled sex for people. And I, every time I, I think it's critical. And every time I say it, people are like, oh, it sounds so sterile. You know what we've been talking about this whole time. If you think about dating and if you think about affairs, everyone thinks like, oh, it's so hot and so spontaneous. And so like, uh. no, it's not. Dating is super scheduled sex. You know the nights that you're going to see that person. You know what you're going to do. Women shave their legs. They put on matching brown panties. They wash their vagina. They get hot and they get in the mindset. But then they call it like spontaneous. There was nothing spontaneous about it. And so too with affairs. People show up. They know who they're going to be in that moment. They know what is like expected of them. And it makes for really good sex. And then we start living with someone and we start building a family with them and we start cohabitating and blah, blah, blah. And we expect that it should just be spontaneous. We abandon that model of like, hey, this is our time. And everyone is not ready at the same time, right? There's a lot that is looked at um, spontaneous mutual desire as actually being really hard to achieve. So this idea that your husband will walk in the room and be like, hey, like, all right. And you're like, what a fucking coincidence. I was right there in that headspace too. Like, that's amazing. We're so synced up. Is actually really hard to achieve. So carving out time, And it doesn't need to be like 7.15 on Thursday evening. No, more like Thursday evening. Like, let's show up. And it also gives the woman an opportunity to get all the shit done that interrupts her headspace, to get the house sort of tidied up, to answer the emails, to downshift, to look at her partner and be like, you put the baby to bed if you want me to have a minute to myself to switch gears. I think that new parents need to schedule time. That's one of the most important things. Two, to recognize that it is going to be different. Like the body is different. The response is different. And the amount of time to lean into it is different. Also, you start to get into it and the baby monitor goes off. You're like, fuck. Babies are cock blocks. I swear they know. I swear they know. So being able to sort of either tune it out and know that like for the next 15 minutes, that baby is fine. Or to be able to bridge between like, hold on right there. Let me run. Let me be a mom for a second and soothe this baby and then come back and like be a vixen. It's a lot to ask. I definitely felt it's at one point, especially when I was breastfeeding, that it's like breastfeeding while also trying to like be like my husband's wife, trying to do all those things that I was like, oh my God, my body has, I'm exhausted. I cannot get, I'm giving my body physically to everybody. And I cannot right now. It's, it was rough for a second where I was like, holy shit. I feel like you're speaking on behalf of like every woman. That's literally what I hear. I was, it's funny. You beat me to it. I was going to ask if you breastfed. Breastfeeding is unless people get into it. Right. And there's a whole, I have a funny, (laughs) funny breastfeeding story, but there's a whole genre of people that are like into breastfeeding. But if you don't fall into that genre, then 
for a lot of women, they're like my boobs that used to be sexual and like used to be hot. Now they're like this point of nurturing and nutrition production. But then on a Friday night, I have to abandon that role and make them sexual again. Or I don't know if a lot of people know this or don't know this, like breasts will leak if you are aroused. And so then all of a sudden you're having like leaky sex or you want to keep your bra on. And it's such a mind fuck because your body was also just not your own for nine months. And now it's still kind of not your own. And then once it becomes your own again, like it's not the same. Yes. Who is this? What happened here? Oh, my gosh. It's a big mental switch for people. It is. And like, I feel like, um, I feel, I mean, obviously men don't understand that because they've not gone through it. They're just like, wait, what happened? We were just having sex a second ago. What happened? Why? Why? What happened here? And your hormones are all over the place. Like, it's nuts. It's a weird time. It's also just a brain drain. Again, top three desire inhibitors for women are feeling connected to partner, happy in their body, and like energized and like their to-do list is low. Babies rob all three of those things. Like, come in and literally take them away. And again, you know, I love babies. I love kids. I love my kids. But it changes you as a person, though. Like, it changes your identity entirely and changes your sex. Now my kids are older. We just go lock the door and they know, they know if they try and come in our bedroom, they're locked. They're like, we'll come back later. Yeah. There's nothing worse than feeling like, all right, we're, you know, we're about to get it on, but like, do I, am I, am I sucking in different? Am I, is my posture different so that like my belly doesn't look weird? Not, I mean, it's funny. Cause like my husband could truly give a shit. He's the best, but like, I'm just like, oh, oh God, can I, like, do I wear a, can I just wear a corset during this? How about that? There's a word for it. It's called spectatoring. And it's this, you just nailed it. It's this phenomenon that women do during, during sex, where instead of being in it, they're spectatoring themselves. If I arch my back, does my ass look better? Can you see my cellulite or my boobs jiggling weird? If I get on top, does my stomach look weird? And instead of being in a sexualized headspace, they're evaluating their performance and how they look. And it makes the orgasm harder to achieve. Because when yes, was the last you're not, time? You're not in it. You're not in it. When was the last time you masturbated? And was like, do my boob, are my boobs sagging? Like, and, <laughs> and you were like, I'm about to get off. Let me just ask myself if I'm fat one more time. Right? Like, that's not where your orgasm lives. And yet, if you put your head there during sex, your body's going to be like, I mean, okay, but we're not climaxing today. You no, know? today's not the day. It's not happening today. And that's why, actually, I think for women, one of the best things they can do is get back into their fighting shape, whatever that is for you. However you feel best in your body, try and get as close to that as you can again, not only for yourself, but like for your whole intimate life. Honestly, when I was like pregnant, my husband wouldn't stop touching me. So I'm like, all right, he's down with the extra pounds floating around. Great. But no, it's it's more, I mean, we have our own standard of ourselves in our heads and we get in our own way through everything. I mean, every aspect of life, we get in our own fucking way all the time. When I was pregnant, my, my husband, because I'm, I'm, I'm petite and little and I, I didn't have big boobs. And then I got pregnant. I was like, boobs and ass and thighs. And he was like, it's like fucking someone different. And I was like, listen. I'm going to make a pact with you. I was like, I will not talk for the last three months and you can be wherever you want in your head because I'm coming back on the other side of this. But if it's like fucking someone different, I'll give it to you. I will give it to you. Close your eyes. Pretend that this thick girl is whoever you want her to be. (laughs) Ah, that's so funny. Um, What is the ideal number of times partners should be having sex a week? If they are cohabitating, working with kids, one time as an anchor, a second time if they can catch it. The idea is at least one time a week as an anchor with the idea that sometimes it's going to be three times because it was an energized week. And sometimes it's going to be zero because everyone was sick, but like as a way to maintain rhythm about once a week. And I want to say it doesn't need to be penetration. So I really encourage people like go back to old school, give a good hand job once in a while, take out your vibrator and jerk off on top of you. A little dry hump, as we referenced. Listen, get your jeans on and have at it. The idea is to connect in a way that you're not connecting with anyone else on the planet at least once a week, right? Like you're not dry humping anyone else. You're not blowing anyone. Like the act is secondary. I think it's the idea of like, I'm going to show up for you and see you in this way, right? At least once a week. Because I hear people be like, I want three times a week. That's every other day. Every other day as, listen, tell me you're 25, you have no kids, one of you doesn't work. Then shoot for two to three days a week and have at it. If you are in a long-term relationship, 
And you guys are either trying to raise kids or both working and both in the grind. Once a week should be the anchor. Like I said, if you can catch a second time, awesome. But any more than that, you also start to compromise quality. Think about the neurochemical hit. It's not the same. And the more you do it, the more your brain and body are like, all right, I know this. I know what this is, you know? And so it becomes a little more maintenancey instead of interesting and fun and cool. So there's a value in a little bit less, but showing up cool and different and interesting, if that makes sense. Quality over quantity. All day, all day. Well, Dr. Paz, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I feel like everyone, like where can people find more information from you? They can go on to my handle, which is Dr. Lisa Paz, or they can visit me on my website, drlisapaz.com. They can find resources there, downloadable courses, et cetera. So Dr. Lisa Paz. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. No, no, thank you. You're like magical and so fun. And I feel like you take everything I say and just synthesize it in the perfect way. I feel like you get it. This was amazing. Me and you simpatico here. I'm with you, girl. A big thank you to Dr. Paz for hanging out with me. Like I said at the beginning, I could honestly hang out with this chick all day. I feel like I need to have her on as like a podcast regular. She's so cool, so smart, obviously so well-versed in that space. So yeah, hopefully you guys got some little nuggets of wisdom from that conversation. Whether it's, you know, intimacy things to relationship issues... I don't know. There's there's so many things to talk about. So yes, please, Dr. Paz, come on the podcast whenever the hell you feel like it. She can be my new Dr. Sue Johansson. We all grew up on her. Dr. Paz is hot as hell too. So make sure you check out the YouTube version of this. If you want to see us having this conversation, just head on over to YouTube, type in my name, Renee Paquette, and it will come up. You can just type in the sessions as well. It's all on there. Um, And then you can like, subscribe, leave some comments, turn on the notifications because we are constantly putting out some new content on there. So, I mean, you can go through like the backlog of these interviews and these are all to this point are all up on YouTube. I don't know if there's any that we're holding on to, any little nuggets. I have to check with Emilio. He is the keeper, the gatekeeper of all things YouTube. He has that information. Anyways, check it all out. Thank you, Dr. Paz. Thank you guys for listening. Happy belated Valentine's Day. Sending love to you all. Sweet little lovers, little listeners, smooches to you all. Guys, this has been The Sessions.